Oh my god, do not what? I cannot do this. I cannot do this anymore. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I don't believe in witchcraft. I... No, I came in wrong now. Oh, I messed it up. Oh, alright. I... You know what? I, I don't do it right. Okay. I... And welcome, my friends, to another spoiler room. Yes, and tonight we are talking about a film that many of you have probably heard before and you haven't. Well, shame on you, because the remake, I put that in quotes, it probably is going to be a completely different film, comes out in just a little under a week and a half. But tonight we're going to talk about the original Suspiria from uh, 1977, I do believe it is. And uh, tonight I have uh, some crew members with me that are going to talk about it. And uh, I, I kind of know where this film sits with them. So this should be a fun discussion. First, back in the spoiler room with us from all the gimmicks podcast. It is our friend Derek Carey. Hello, Derek. How are you? I'm good. Thanks for having me, Mark. Yeah, glad to have you on this uh, podcast, this episode, especially uh, knowing your love for uh, Giallo films and uh, Argento uh, movies. So uh, glad you could join us tonight for this discussion. And next to him, back in the spoiler room, our good friend Scotty D is with us. Hello, Scotty D. How are you? I'm doing fine tonight, Mark. I'm glad to be here. Oh. <laughs> don't sound so happy <laughs> wow i didn't even call a baby spice this time and he just he just that's like why, that's why yeah, i'm underwhelmed yeah so. yeah mark, oh, yeah, mark i'm oh. here i'm serving my 20 hours of public service yeah okay mark oh, we're gonna talk about euro horror <laughs> <laughs> So tonight, yes, it is Dario Gentle's classic, a Suspiria, and I think we'll have uh, Mr. Derek Carey. Why don't you tell our fine folks, those few who may not know about it, uh, what Suspiria is about, if you can. Suspiria is the story of Susie Banyan, who is an American ballet student who flies over to Munich in order to enlist in a dance academy. And once she gets there, she's confronted by a woman that is screaming. Um, and it's a, the, this crazy rainstorm. And this woman's screaming about I secret irises and, and all sorts of other crazy shit and runs out in the middle of the woods. And uh, she can't get into the dance academy and has to hold up somewhere else for the night. And when she gets back and is finally let in, the Dance Academy is full of a bunch of really catty women <laughs> that uh, aren't welcoming to her. And she starts noticing there's something else going on at this Dance Academy as well, because the directors and the teachers are really strange. And, and people start dying inexplicably all over the place. And uh, there's people shooting prisms of light into her face and whispers <laughs> and screams and Spoiler alert if you haven't seen this movie that was made in 1977. It's a coven of witches that are running this dance academy. 
So Susie Banyan has to figure out how she can survive the onslaught and curse of this coven of witches. Though I don't know what she was threatened by more, the coven of witches or the sheer volume of red throughout this entire film. <laughs> well, that's one of three other primary colors that she has to fight with constantly. That's true. She does She does fight with the other colors as well. But uh, very well said. Yes, Suspiria, 1977. Uh, man, uh, let's just get initial thoughts, and then uh, we'll dive into uh, this film a little more. Uh, Derek, I kind of know uh, your feeling, but what was it like when you first saw this film? I first came across Suspiria when I was very young. I used to be somebody that would carry around Stephen King's Don's Macabre, his mm. book that was basically his um, thoughts on the horror genre in general. And he had a big section within that about Suspiria. And then I was sort of interested as to finding it, and it, I didn't get to see anything from it until I saw the documentary or clip show Terror in the Isles years later, where they highlighted the famous opening kill, uh, which is possibly the best set piece in the entire film. And uh, from there, I there wasn't really a great release of this movie for many, many years. Mm -hmm. At least where I was at, I wasn't able to see it. And I didn't properly finally get to watch this until i believe i was 18 or 19 years old on a cruddy ass vhs <laughs> i remember i was so jacked to finally see this movie and when i saw it i was totally underwhelmed really i was like what the fuck is this why why was I so jacked and watched this movie? And and I think at that time I just wasn't prepared for what this movie is because the movie isn't necessarily your traditional horror film. It's more of a, an audiovisual experience. Um uh kind of like a nightmare put to film uh you know to put it lightly. Um over the years I would I would become a big Dario Argento fan and Euro horror fan. Um not only as you had alluded to before uh, a fan of Jolly. And uh I would go back time and time again to Suspiria because there was something about it. Well, let's be honest, maybe it could have been the marijuana, maybe it could have been <laughs> other things. Um but Suspiria is just this hypnotic film that it's hard to not get completely engrossed by it once you start watching it. It has a, a chaotic score. It has the most amazingly eye-popping visuals the entire way through. Um, it's just a joy to watch. And as a horror fan, if you know anything about Argento, you know you're going to get the gore. Yeah. You're going to get crazy gore and Suspiria just all around. Well, I think a lot of people like to point fingers at it as being a jolly. It's not. Mm -hmm. It's mm -hmm. it's the point where Dario Argento changed from being that director of uh, Jallo films to being a horror director. Because Jallo are kind of are murder mysteries. Yeah. You know, hyped up Italian pulp murder mysteries. And this was the point in his career where he went from being like the Italian Alfred Hitchcock to being 
a horror director, the horror director that we now know as Dario Argento. And um, you couldn't find a better example of Italian excess than Suspiria. <laughs> That's, that is very, very true. <laughs> and I love this movie. I love it to death. It As much as I love Dario Argento, and I'm a total apologist for almost all of his cruddy movies. <laughs> I love Dracula 3D unapologetically. <laughs> um, I still will say I, I won't go deep cut on this. Suspiria is my favorite movie of his. Sure. I watch it constantly. So mm -hmm. I love this movie. Awesome. And Scotty D, how about you? Your first experience with Suspiria? Um, well, our. Actually, Derek said that wonderfully. And our, and our, um, before seeing the movie, our experience was were similar. I had also read the piece in Donsmakov, which is probably my, still my favorite Stephen King book. And um, uh, also, I'd read a bunch of. Um, I would get a bunch of old. I couldn't wasn't allowed to get like Fangoria, but I was allowed to get other magazines um, that were like from like the old farmers markets and in town and everything like that and the old comic book shops. And so all, they were always a few years old and they were always talking about the then new movies, which were in the seventies and early eighties. And um, <clears throat> they talked about like this guy, Dario Argento and how we did this movie. Then there was this one movie, Suspiria. This movie just kept coming up. Suspiria, Suspiria, Suspiria. And I thought, oh, my God, I have got to see this thing. You know, it was, it's in every film book I have. You know, I've got to see this thing. And I couldn't find it either. It was, uh, you know, both both of us are live in the Midwest. Uh, I'm in Minnesota. I was in Minnesota. And finally, when a video update opened in town, I found the old Magnum VHS tape that had the um, the very, very strange. Um, the very very strange uh, tagline on it. The only thing uh, <laughs> scarier than the first ninety-two minutes of this movie are the last twelve. Or like like the, the only thing uh, scarier than the last twelve minutes of this movie are the first ninety-two or something like that. Which is totally wrong because the movie's only ninety-eight minutes long. Yeah. Which is only ninety-eight <laughs> minutes long for one thing. For one thing, and for all another thing, I always thought that was like a weird thing. It was like like Suspiria. It's good. The ending doesn't pay off. <laughs> 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 the, um, I always thought that was a really strange tagline, but um, the so but I finally watched it, and uh, I'm happy to say this is where Derek and I's experience uh, diverge. I was immediately hooked, and I said, "This is one of the greatest films I've ever seen," and um, I was I was making um, uh, doing a lot of work for cable access and like like in like indie video things for school and everything like that and if you don't think that i like cannibalized this movie for uh stock footage you are out of your mind i i, I even i even put the opening murder in a, in, a, in a school project and showed it to my class like look <laughs> <laughs> Traumatizing everyone. Traumatizing everyone. It was great. It's like you know the um, and uh, it was. I, I just thought it was you know brilliant, and it made didn't make a lick of sense. And I it would I would have to explain to people constantly they, when they would say, "But it didn't make sense. It didn't do that." I'm like, "No, it's this dreamlike thing. You know, it's once she you know goes out into the storm. That's you know." 
your cue that you're in being thrust into this other world, you know, and it and uh, just try to um, explain it. And pe- some people got it. Some people didn't. But uh, I just kept coming in back to it year after year after year. And I, I got to tell you, I think the movie is Dario Argento's masterpiece. Mm-hmm. I think it is. Uh, I think it's one of those movies where um, even if you're a great filmmaker, if you are lucky, you make something once in your life that approaches Suspiria. And uh, I, that's how that's how I feel about it. I feel like this is a film that completely rewrote the rules on what fantasy and horror can be. Okay. See, I told you folks, I got two huge fans here of Suspiria. Mm-hmm. Um, my experience was later, actually. Um, I mean, I, I knew the name, and I knew the name of the movie. I never, when I was younger, actually sat down and watched it. I fully admit it. Um, you don't but, seem like you're much of a Euro horror fan to begin with. I... I, it's grown on me over the years. I've watched more and I appreciate more. I will say, especially my earlier viewings, like in college, and I, I did not, uh, I wasn't usually not into Euro horror. In fact, uh, I think Suspiria, I watched for the first time 10 years ago, maybe it was. Uh, but it was, a, it was a, long, a long while ago as I started to, explore and and yes thanks to the internet i started to explore movies and that and looking for something different i finally sat down i had seen clips i had seen bits and pieces and then i sat down and watched suspiria and i that was one of the first like euro horror like true euro horror films i actually voluntarily sat down and watched the whole thing of and i'm like Okay, um, I was kind of like Derek's. I was kind of like Derek, but I I came back later to it, uh, like a year later after I watched it again, and um, I appreciated it more. And now watching it uh, again for this film, I haven't watched it nearly as much as you, gentlemen. Um, no, I I love it. Uh, it it actually opened me up to appreciating other Euro horror. I started seeking out other titles. Or if I ran across one, I didn't necessarily shun away from it. Um, it was because of this film that I, you know, I started looking at some of the other stuff. And then I got a chance, you know, I got to meet you gentlemen and, and uh, you know, Andrew and just uh, we talked to uh, um, Derek uh, had a few people on his show, too, who just love uh, Giallo and uh, films. And I've grown a huge appreciation for this film and watching it again. I can see influences that how it influenced so many people going forward, not just the ones who are trying to do more Euro horror, you know, try to do that with the colors and that, but even, even some of your more mainstream uh, directors, you can see bits and pieces uh, of his influence. And especially, yeah, Derek, you mentioned it. What always sticks in my head is this opening, the opening kill, if you will, the first kill, because we're introduced to, to uh, our main character, but then uh, we go away from her <laughs> for a while, and we're we're completely on uh, this other uh, woman who ran out of the the school, and yeah, this you're right. That sums up the whole film. I mean, as far as what you're going to get visually, I think is what a way to open is with that first kill through the through the skylight, and uh, 
I just love how that was so solidly directed. Uh, Scotty D, what is it do you think most about this opening kill set piece that uh, uh, stands out for you? First of all, it's probably my favorite. Um, it's probably my favorite on-screen murder of all time. Mm-hmm. I think it's. I mean, it, it, I've. It's just fantastic. It's so. What got me is that well, it's the film is constantly with the visuals and the beauty of it, and um, so even when you're in this apartment away from it, you've got all this stained glass and everything everywhere. It's just gorgeous and colorful, and and then right in the middle of it is this killing, and it is so brutal. Mm-hmm. It is so brutal that you're just. It's and it's not a matter of just the gore. It's a matter of that where when her face is pressed up against the glass, when the glass breaks and goes over her, uh, you know, when she's you know cowering away, and every now and then there's like a hairy arm that stabs, you know, and you know, and because Dario's got some pretty hairy arms in this movie, I'm just going to tell you right now. I mean. <laughs> I thought my arms were hairy. I was like, God damn. <laughs> that guy's it's got a, some hairy arms. It's but, some fur. <laughs> that guy's got, yeah, that guy's like, you know, that guy's like Oliver Reed and Curse of the Werewolf, man. That guy. <laughs> that, uh, but uh, he, uh, but um, he, but, you know, every single bit, I mean, it's like almost like you can feel it. Mm-hmm. It's like every single bit, you're just like, oh. Ooh, you know, ooh. and then it just doesn't stop. And then, you know, you know, it goes right. Not, not enough to stab them multiple times. You actually have to show it going into the heart. <laughs> and um, the um, when uh, it goes, when they go, then they go through the skylight, which is the thing. And you think it's still over and nope, because there was somebody else who suspected something might be going on. And so we, then we pan and we see that, the uh, horror has touched people on the outside as well. I mean, it's just this, it's this thing that is, it's just this thing that is just so all encompassing and brutal. And it was a thing that said, how can something be so savage and be so, cause it's shot so well, it's shot yeah. so beautifully and it's, and all the colors pop out. How could something be so savage and brutal and beautiful at the same time? And uh, I'm still don't have an answer for that, but <laughs> but uh, that's the thing that all, that always took me what with this. I I used the footage from it so many times. I God, I used still photos on it on my cable access show. People would just like watch the be flipping channels, like oh, I wonder what's on TV. Ah, no wonder I got letters. <laughs> and, um, <laughs> yeah, it's uh, but uh, it's um. Yeah, you know, it's just one of those amazing pieces. I think it's. Mm-hmm. I think that Derek's absolutely right. I think it's one of the most amazing sections of film, mm-hmm. uh, of horror film ever ever created. Nice, uh, Derek. How about you? What do you think it is about this? What is it for you? This opening uh, death, uh, something that maybe uh, Scott hasn't mentioned uh, for you. What what is it with this opening scene that just makes it stand out so much? Beyond. Um the fever pitch soundtrack of goblin that right from the get go, when this movie starts, it's this timpani and crazy strings, just squealing. I mean, the first opening bit is such a crescendo 
like it goes for what does this sequence go for almost like 15 minutes or something yeah and it the entire time it is just chaos in the soundtrack and also in the the pacing of the film the editing goes goes it it kind of is almost like a, an accordion going in and out where it it breathes and then it gets crazy and then it breathes and then it gets crazy and at the same time you're seeing these visuals that are so uh there's such symmetry in in a lot of what his shot compositions hold in them like there's always like all of uh like Susie or uh the the character that gets killed i forget her name off the top of my head i feel bad about that um whenever she's on screen she's just this little pixie in this huge room uh and in the when they they go to the apartment complex it's this art deco style um facade with all of these angular shapes and pink uh color and it, it just there's so much and it's so dense to look at that at no point is your brain allowed to like let up at all until the 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 death is done and mm -hmm. we go to the next day that is it's just tension it for 15 straight minutes you're you're put through the ringer and yeah. you were you were speaking before of you know you could see how this sequence of film had you know influenced so much that came after it the funny thing is there's so much within this that showcases what came before this Mm -hmm. I mean, Dario Argento shows his influences on his sleeve so tremendously, even within this first opening sequence. I mean, people that know Dario Argento very well know that he was highly influenced by um, Mario Bava and by mm -hmm. uh, uh, Alfred Hitchcock and things. Of these. I mean, Hitchcock with his forced perspective and Bava with his, you know, use of uh, lavish colors and uh uh, these beautiful women. <laughs> it, it just like everything culminates into this one sequence where I think it's just like at the time, Mario uh, Dario Argento, when he first started out, he made this amazing movie called The Bird with the Crystal Plumage, which exploded and became this global phenomenon. And because of how big that film got, he went and was basically by financiers told we need more movies. So he made the cat of nine tails and four flies in gray velvet almost immediately. I believe within like 18 months or it was like, boom, boom. These yeah. two movies came out and um, he was at, like, so spirit is a real crossroads for him because right after those three movies, which uh, by all means are traditional um jolly films mm -hmm. i mean there's really no horror i mean if, if you could point at horror it's you know they're the prototype slasher type films but they yeah. are much more akin to a thriller than they are a horror film whatsoever um he then went on to not to give a whole you know history lesson on dario Argento, but it's it's important to get to the suspiria to understand you know the importance of like this is a crossroads where argento really wanted to prove something he really like went for broke with this film because the, the movie before directly before this deep red is kind of a mixture of of the old jolly that he had made and then this weird new tangent that <laughs> dario argento started 
big going down where his films no longer followed a traditional structure narratively. And they were much more interested in tone and atmosphere beyond anything else. And, and when you get to Suspiria, because I think at the time when uh, Deep Red came out, it, it was a hit and he was feeling the pressure of, you know what, you could be a huge international director. This is your chance. And he got all the money he wanted for Suspiria. <laughs> and it shows in this mm -hmm. opening sequence is literally just, it is the sign of a director that firmly has a hold of, you know, all of his, all of his talent, his craft is in line and he's kicking down the door saying, look at me. You better fucking get ready. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm about to burn this house down. It, it just, it is literally one of the most, the biggest examples of bravado filmmaking I've ever seen. I mean, yeah. this opening sequence kicks so much ass is so in your face. It doesn't let up. And if, if it doesn't grab you, then you there you you shouldn't watch the rest of Suspiria, yeah. <laughs> and you probably shouldn't watch any Dario Argento films because it is just it is the epitome of excess. Yeah, and there's about this uh, this section of film that that grabs me is the fact that there's really nothing else like this mm -mm. out there. Even mm -hmm. though people will have attempted to try and like emulate this style as you had said there are many people now that when you see you know hard primary lighting in films it's always oh they're just like uh, when people hear synthwave scores they go oh that's very carpenter-esque yeah. now when you see hard <laughs> reds and hard blues or hard greens oh they're trying to be suspiria that's that's mm -hmm. argento lighting you know yeah it comes from this mm -hmm. yeah it it does and it, I found it, you know, it's visually captivating as well as just uh, story and, and the actions that's going on. But just visually that that lobby alone of the apartment complex with that that stained glass style skylight, you walk in there and it's just it's just massive. And it, it takes over the entire frame to where the people are very small <laughs> yeah. in there, but they're not the focus. It, it's like. You know, it, it they're in this uh, box, you know, and and they're just a very small part of it, but it visually captures you, and you just it stays with you the whole time because you're like, well, what the hell, what's going on? And you're like, wait, weren't we following the other girl? What do we what are we following her for? And and then yeah, you get that death in the skylight with just the head coming through the glass, and yeah, th this whole sequence. You're right. If you don't get pulled in to this film from this opening sequence, then turn it off. <laughs> well, another big thing is is that Dario Argento really truly believes witchcraft is real. Sure. He really believes in the history mm -hmm. behind this and believes there's a reason this was was filmed where it was filmed because he believes this is part of the triangle of the most <laughs> witch-like places like the the I forgot what the other two places that I had heard uh, were part of this triangle, but it is like one of the highest concentrations of black magic and witchery are here. And obviously it was filmed in this place due to the, the Nazi affiliation <laughs> with, sure. yeah. with Munich. So, I mean, 
there's there's a reason why everything is the way it is within Suspiria is because he he wants to show showcase you know there's inherent evil in all of this stuff that these people are surrounded by and uh it's i mean from frame one jessica parker is not only walking into a foreign country she's walking into a, a completely other world that she cannot control yeah i mean yeah. you got the oh go ahead scott i was gonna say a lot of the uh this is like back in the um 70s where a lot of uh, filmmakers uh, uh, w that we know from like horror things uh, were aware of and um, were interested in the rise in interest in the occult as well. And uh, occult, witchcraft, Satanism, all that stuff. And uh, you'll hear stories about, you know, Paul Nashi, you know, being, you know, you know, finding himself in, in a, you know, a, thing that's supposed to be some kind of satanic right and having to like back out of it was that was like a story from what is his biography and um and uh you'll and of course let's not forget also uh italy itself very catholic country <laughs> yeah. uh and so they and uh when we say very catholic country we don't just mean about oh yes you know you know the bible and everything like that like no we also mean you know saints and the actual stories about you know lucifer's fall and you know uh a long history of um uh where the catholic church has been at war with the so-called forces of evil uh you know and stuff like that with you know going far far back you know just because it was the spanish inquisition that the people that were in charge of it you know were church yeah <laughs> you know and everything like that you know so um a lot of that i think informed a lot of these directors especially back then because i don't know what it was if it was like this uh the rise of you know things like anton lavey and f interest in the works of crowley and stuff like that but there was this it was like almost in vogue in some things to show kind of an interest in you know this kind of these uh darker and mysterious things now you know and so i think that uh, and uh i think that they were very keenly aware of it and uh you you can always tell where they're come where the directors are coming from with their different approaches to the material and so i think that argento was one of these people who took a real kind of fascination and interest in the actual etymological history of this uh, tremendously i mean it is if, if you go and you you try and dig a little deep as to like what's where the creation of this movie came from i mean the this movie it was written by his then um partner and him uh dario nicolodi who he met she was an, uh, one of the primary actors in his last film deep red and she had been reading um this essay uh suspira de profundus which was a part of uh what's his name i'm trying to think of where here oh here thomas de Quin uh, quincy's uh i believe it was the um god i'm terrible on your podcast you're gonna have to edit this like crazy um the something about the hallucinations of a opium meter i believe oh, yeah. was was the book yeah and uh this was a a story that she had she had read i mean there's conflicting stories as to 
whether or not he found this or she found this. Um, but it was this story where um, the lead character was going on a opium binge and had uh, he was telling the story of the three mothers uh, matter uh, like a mom room. I totally am probably going to slaughter this. Who is uh, the Lady of Tears, uh, Matter Suspiriorum, the Lady of Sighs, and Matter Tenebrum, which is the Lady of Darkness. Now, um, they would go on to sort of make films about those those other mothers. <laughs> but this one obviously is is concerned with the Lady of Sighs. So um, the two of them were highly interested in the occult and this kind of thing. But uh, Suspiria, I believe, other than just that, came from a story of uh, from Daria Nicolodi where mm -hmm. her, I believe her grandmother had told her the story about going to a school where they believed witches ran it. Yeah, yeah. She says, the, I guess the grandmother always swore that at least a few of the people in charge of the school were practicing witchcraft. And we're practicing witches. So, so there's, uh, I, you're dead on about this, Scott. I mean, there's a at that time at least, um, a lot of the the European directors. There was there was a lot of like, <laughs> they kind of believed this <laughs> shit a little bit. Well, you you could tell care was taken in this story. I mean, you 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 feel that that the director that he's he's direct he's like yeah this shit's real here check this out because um the witchcraft stuff in here especially when we get into the uh film later on and and we have uh the discovery you know finding more clues in that uh what i liked about it was that it wasn't as far as like the spells and witchcraft stuff we don't get really that till the end but even then it wasn't too flashy or too extravagant as far as or involved i should say you know how flashy some some witch rituals are and such we see nowadays and this one it felt real it felt like a real ritual <laughs> you know the, the witchcraft in here felt real or and i liked how he kept it simple and again i i fully admit i am compared to my two fantastic fantastic guests here tonight i am very green yet in the european uh, horror and, and the Argento film, so you have to excuse me, but I enjoyed the simplicity approach, though, that he still took. Like, in the very beginning, we have uh, our main character, she's walking down a hall, and she, I believe it's when she gets cursed, but but all they did is get a reflection in her face from a knife, I think it was. Um, and it was such a, a, a potent effect, though, you know, it got the idea across, yet it wasn't too flashy. And I just love there's all kinds of that throughout this film to where uh, while you have the great visuals of, of the red palettes and that and, and things go gonzo, as far as some of the witchcraft stuff, it felt real. <laughs> you know, you're like, yeah, OK, I could see how someone could be cursed like that. So, you know, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I I dig the the witchcraft stuff. I didn't know any of that history uh, behind it thank you guys both on that wow that gives you even more perspective with this film though you know i don't know if every witch 
coven has a room full of razor wire. <laughs> <laughs> even I com I, I've always thought that was a thing, and I even I commented on that. It's like who the fuck has a room full of razor wire anyway? <laughs> I mean, you know, uh, it's like one of those things that just like you know, there's a lot of stuff in this movie that doesn't make any sense, and that's the biggest one for me. Is like always just that is that there's a room that has a sunken floor. And that sunken floor is for no other purpose than to just have a big eight-foot tangle of razor wire. <laughs> <laughs> or, or how about how does one little box of rotten fruit produce so many maggots that it oh, invests in an yes. entire floor? They literally rain from the ceiling. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I, I love that part. I mean, the weird stuff, once our... Uh, uh, when she starts living at the the school and you finding all the weird stuff, that first thing with the maggots dropping from the ceiling, and at first you, th the way the film is set up, I actually love that about this is you think maybe she's hallucinating that, you know, at, at first the way everything's set up, you're kind of like okay maybe you know she got the reflection in her face and that okay maybe she's imagining the maggots, but no, there's actual maggots raining. <laughs> from from the ceiling uh which you know makes you wonder was that part of a spell or did the fruit just go bad derek what what, what is implied in there do you is that meant to say that the witchcraft maybe or that the you know it was cursed or or did it just go bad and they just happened to get a shitload of maggots all over them i'm sure it's a, a little of both Mm -hmm. To be honest, the way that it's inferred in the movie that it's just all coming from this one little crate of rotten <laughs> food that's in the attic. But I'm I'm sure it's a little of both. As with everything that goes on in this movie, um, everything's heightened. Mm -hmm. So I, I the the main thing to take away that when I watch this movie is that once Susie gets to the academy, the entire place is kind of put on it's under a spell it's like mm -hmm. it's in its own kind of magic bubble and um so anything can go in this world and it does i mean every last inch of that academy is covered in velvet for some unknown reason <laughs> oh <laughs> there's a sale there's a sale <laughs> it's just it, it anything goes so to sit and try it i, I I love that razor wire seat scene. So do, I. <laughs> so do I. Yeah, I mean, well, no, it's a great scene. Don't get me wrong. Just like so out of left field. There's just so much stuff in this movie. I mean, if you really want to get down to it, not only you know you, you're looking at all these colors. There's subliminal images. I would like, almost like a, a drinking game. Next time your listeners or even you, Mark, watch a Suspiria, drink every time you spot Dario Argento. In this movie, <laughs> mm -hmm. he's in it quite a bit. He's in yeah. a lot, and, yeah. and in ways that aren't like, like at first you don't see it, <laughs> but when you do see it, you're like, "Holy shit! How did I miss that?" <laughs> One of the biggest ones is um, in the opening uh, scene where uh, Jessica Harper uh, gets in a cab. And she's yeah. just trying to tell the, the cabbie to take her to Essestrasse. And, uh, <laughs> oh, yeah. And there's lightning going on. And in one of the scenes, like one of the shots, she's looking up at the cabbie. And in his 
like shadow on his shoulder when a lightning bolt hits, you see Dario Argento with the most pained expression in his shadow. Now, if you weren't looking there, you would never see this, but it's the weirdest, most haunting thing. And that shit is everywhere in this movie. There's a lot of stuff. And um, I was, uh, I took this opportunity to finally unwrap the uh, Synapse Blu-ray that we've waited forever for. So amazing. Yeah, the, and I got like the, I, I made sure I went with all the bells and whistles last year because I said, what the hell, it's Suspiria, you know? And um, I took it out and it's like, there's stuff in there I never noticed. I never noticed in the opening shot the that there's a reflection of a blade in the trees yep. when there's a lightning flash. I didn't notice that the yellow eyes you see in the opening murder, they show up later in the movie in way yep. more subtle ways. I'm like, what? I never, I've seen this thing dozens of times. <laughs> I've never noticed that. Dude, that one part where Sarah is walking through that one hall and all of a sudden the yellow eyes are behind her. Yes. Just hanging out in the hall. It, I was, just, just like disembodied, just right, right there. <laughs> oh my god! So awesome. <laughs> <laughs> it's really cool. Yeah, this Blu-ray is a treasure. If oh, people yeah. don't have this Blu-ray, those of us have been watching this for thirty years now. Are like I'm seeing it as a new movie mm -hmm. almost. It's like it's like it's it's like the third time this has happened. First, you know, we got the. Um, the dvd and i got that and i pre-ordered that when it came out uh, mm -hmm. uh when it came out on september 11th 2001 incidentally um because <laughs> i remember i had to postpone my trip for to the store for obvious reasons uh and then you know what is it now uh was uh last year so it was 16 years later it finally comes out on blu-ray it was delayed forever and they just kept on saying just just wait just wait It'll be worth it. It'll be worth it. And damn if it isn't worth it. You know, it's just it's like every single time you're just seeing it in this new light. And it's and you really take an appreciation of like what he put in this movie. I um I I took a friend to see it on the big screen last year. Uh and, and what they every year they show it once or twice in the in the Twin Cities. And um they uh, showed it at the theater. It was a slightly cut print. I was disappointed to find, but it was still, but you know, still Suspiria. And um, this friend had never seen it before. And she says, "Well, what do I need to know?" I says, "Just don't." I said, "Just don't. Just don't use logic, and and just take be taken away by it." And she was taken away by it, and she'd never seen anything like it before. There's so much going on in this movie. It's easy to see, say, well, there's no story, there's no nothing, there's the, and there, and yet there is more going on in this movie than there are in like most ten movies, <laughs> you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah, because you're, there's a lot for your brain to really wrap around, and that's why I think the lack of story isn't a detriment no. to this film. You know, it's also it almost helps because you there's so many subliminal things that are happening within this movie that your brain has to unpack that it's good to not also be loaded down with a ton of plot. Yeah. You don't want too much exposition. They only use that basically that one part in the middle 
with Udo uh, Kier. With Udo Kier uh, dubbed. Why would you would ever dub Udo Kier and not use his actual <laughs> voice? Well, I supposedly on the um, commentary track, I guess Udo Kier was very uncomfortable speaking in English when he was uh, on set. Really? And... He had already done those Andy Warhol movies. Well, supposedly he had somebody behind him because, I mean, the sequence we're, we're talking about uh, for your listeners, Mark, is where Susie uh, gets out of the dance academy for a little bit to meet with a, a, like a professor and a scientist to find out, you know, more about witches and if witchcraft is real and what she can do to kind of help herself. It's the only part of the movie that takes place during the day outside and it's com a complete, like, mind fuck of a scene because you're so used to seeing all this lavish stuff then all of a sudden you're in reality again for, for a yeah. little bit it's kind <laughs> of weird but i supposedly they're sitting in like a courtyard at the bmw um buildings uh and behind them off screen i guess somebody was feeding udo kier his lines the whole time oh, because wow. he was just so off put like he did not feel comfortable <laughs> whatsoever reciting the english lines i guess that's amazing because i we love udo right i mean udo's oh, fantastic yeah. how, how, can you not, how can you not love udo udo's oh awesome God. <laughs> um dawn couldn't be with us tonight uh she's had uh she just had some things come up but she wanted me to bring up and since i have two fantastic experts here uh she'd love no, to get don't say that mark yeah, she, yeah. She, she's got well she's got an, uh she wanted to bring up the mc escher connection she saw uh or, or got from the film from the street name to the staircase and all of the art everywhere throughout the dance school she uh stated that there's an m it felt like there's an mc escher connection in the in this film uh uh scott what do you think of that my knowledge of MC Escher goes to the uh, pictures that my brother used to have on his wall. <laughs> um, and he was, he, he would be a better person to ask than I would, sure. but it's uh but um, I know what MC Escher was doing. He, you know, of course uh, for listeners would uh, had the pictures at uh, the staircases yes. that go like that are, that seem endless and you don't know where one ends and one begins. And then there's, the two hands drawing one another and you don't know which one started which i am sure argento with he he has a very artistic mind and he has a great knowledge of art both classical and modern and a respect for that and this whole film is basically an art film it's a basically a paintings come to life and everything so i'm sure that it was very conscious Mm -hmm. uh, to draw upon the works of Escher. Uh, moreover, beyond that, all I can say is that I'll bet it was um, something to mess with our perspectives. Um, there's always things that are made to mess with our perspectives. One of them is because of Argento's original vision for the film, which I will not, I'll talk about in just a second, but not now, right now because it's beyond it's away from the point but uh it's um and another is to constantly have this feeling of i've been plunged into this other realm and i literally don't know which way is up 
Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, and I think that that's the what they're doing. I did a I uh, went to this wonderful event uh, in Minneapolis last week, the haunted basement. And part of that was plunging you. This one wasn't with the uh, staircase or anything, but this was plunging you in and dar total darkness and everything to the point where it actually messed with your perceptions, and you had no idea where you were, how far you had come, how far you had to go. You had no idea, and that of course heightens the anxiety of it. It. I think that probably he used it to heighten both the mystery and the and the anxiety to mm -hmm. show basically uh, Alice has been plunged into wonderland and the rules don't apply anymore. <laughs> well said, Derek, how about you? A MC Escher uh, connection in here at all? There's an absolute complete direct connection to Escher in um, the room where Susie, and again, this is a spoiler room. So we're going to give spoilers away where she finally figures out the pathway to Helena Marcos, the lead right. witch, um, where the the blue irises, I mean, the walls of that cylindrical room that she's in are definitely painted with a work that's inspired by Escher, by mm -hmm. the, the staircases that lead all over the place. Um, so whether or not it was overt, like he, he wanted to rip off Escher, that, you know, I can't speak to, but that is 100%. You know, you can definitely look at that and see that, of course, that's an Escher <laughs> style painting that's hanging out there. Yeah. Um, but it but like metaphorically, of course, it, it completely fits, as mm -hmm. Scott had said, is that the entire dance academy after a while is so disorienting that you don't really know where you're at or how big this place is or where staircases lead to. It is you are constantly misdirected someplace else that familiar places are are now mysteries <laughs> like yeah. I, the, you you could look at every inch of this place and still not know where you are yeah i'd love to see someone and i'm sure probably if you look the internet someone may have tried to do a map of this place but i always got that feeling watching this film is that you, you see them go one direction you're like oh they're going to end up here you know just kind of the logical location of where they're going to be in the building it, no there's somewhere you're like Wait, they, didn't they go in this side, but yet they're coming out over? It's like, you know, it's like where the hallways are. Where does suddenly this big, huge room where everybody's staying in because of the maggots, they end up setting up uh, uh, a uh, uh, sleeping quarters in a massive room, which we hadn't, I couldn't quite tell where that was. Was that in the lobby? Was that in a dance floor? You couldn't tell. And then, yeah, where was her room? And they're talking about, well, do you hear them going up the stairs? What stair? I mean, it is. It is disorientating in this building. And I'd love to see if someone drew up a floor plan of this place. <laughs> well, I think that is kind of a bit of the theme that Dario would go with with all three of these uh, mother films, the three mothers. Um, and it is showcased almost a little bit more in the sequel, uh, Inferno. Mm -hmm. Where this this idea that the power of the witches disorients everything and it's almost like a time vortex and weird like time and space don't really apply anymore. Mm -hmm. Where the the centers of these um these witches' power where they lie. Right. So they're almost like gates to hell. 
Oh, so um, in each of these subsequent films in Suspiria, the whole thing is kind of like this labyrinth where in Inferno, it it's just because that's more about alchemy than it is about uh, the witchcraft. And uh, it's almost like they walk in and not to get too far into the other films, but the, the lead character walks into this hotel and you just have no idea which way is up, where anything is. There's there's uh, basements that are there are lakes underneath. (laughs) It's just insane. So I think, you know, in general, with all of these films, he he wanted to showcase that kind of Escher style. I have no idea which way is up, what's down, what's left, what's right, what's sane, what's not sane. That's kind of the fun of it, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, it, the unpredictability. I always like unpredictability in films, uh, <laughs> and and these th- definitely have that. <laughs> Especially if you, you haven't watched it before, uh, there's a lot of, of things that uh, are going to take a turn. You're just like, wait, we're doing that? Holy crap! Uh, <laughs> I didn't expect that at all. So, uh, yeah, a lot of great things in this film. And now I'm going to uh, stop asking questions here, real. And, and I'm going to ask the panel here, my two fine friends, uh, we'll start with uh, Derek, if they had a topic or a question or something they wanted to address with this film that we haven't touched on yet. Mine aren't fully formed questions. They're more like topics. Well, that's just that's like okay. fitting for the movie. So go ahead. No, that <laughs> actually is. Yeah. Okay. Well, two things. Um, one, uh, let's start and I'll go back because the one that goes back to what we were just talking about, but the next, but let's say one of the reasons why there are certain things in the movies, such as uh, doors knobs that are at like eye length mm-hmm. and why the people in the dance, the girls in the dance Academy talk so strangely and childishly. Like when they say S is a name for snakes, you know, that yeah. stuff like that is because originally Argento wanted this uh, film to be featuring all these like 12 to 14 year old girls in the, in the leads instead of, you know, more older seasoned uh, actresses who are more like young, almost young women than, than the other. And um, there are other there are reports saying that it was the distributor, uh, twenty century that was twentieth century Fox who put up some money, or some that said it was actually his father Salvatore Argento who produced the film that said, absolutely not, you are not <laughs> going to have this film full of these bloodthirsty murders featuring nothing but children. Are you out of your mind? They'll kill you, and um, <laughs> we'll never be able to sell it. Um, and uh, so they said that. I'm curious as to how you think, uh, you know, uh, if we want to talk about that a bit, that uh, idea that it was initially to feature them and it doesn't, and how that would, how that, if it did, how that would have altered things. And also the fact that he said, fine, but I'm not changing the script. And I'm making the, you know, and I'm he and he, and he added little things like the doorknobs and such like that, uh, to so that even if they aren't physically li- little girls, they are certainly seem to be dwarfed by this 
gigantic world in front of them. Uh, what uh, what does what do you guys think of that and how that uh, mm. plays into like the whole fairy tale aspect of the movie? Yeah, I can see that. I mean, I it, like you said in that opening scenes where we were talking about it, to where it seemed like uh, you know she walks into this lobby. The lobby's just huge. And when they're in the dance studio, a lot of, you know, rooms in that, they're, the, the ladies are shot uh, like they're smaller in stature. And, uh, and as far as it changing the story, in all honesty, uh, I don't think it changes it much outside of the target demographic of who might end up watching it um, accidentally. Uh, but the way it, it's done, I could see it working with a younger cast. Um, because it doesn't have some of the things that people, I'm just going to say that some of the cliche stuff that people are associate with films like this, such as, uh, nudity, which there is actually quite a lack of, I don't think there's any in here. No. Um, you know, which now that you mentioned that makes sense the way this whole film plays out. I could easily see it with a younger group of, uh, females and it would still work. Uh, and it might it, it put it on a different level, actually, with that. But the girls here do seem younger and their characters a bit naive, which also, though, plays into it because they set it up early that it seems like all these girls were recruited when they were very young. So they haven't had a chance to really uh, grow up more or less i mean maybe you know uh, emotionally uh just the way their dialogue is and some some of their behaviors but i think it'd go either way i think with with the kids it would make it a, a bit extra creepy but it would still work what about you Derek? i 100 percent believe that this could totally be full of kids there this is not a sexual movie no. whatsoever which is quite shocking given the fact that you know a lot of Euro horror is hyper-sexualized. Um, mm -hmm. I mean, it's just a different culture. They were very much more open to the nudity and and just uh, kind of the dreamy sexual nature of a lot of Euro horror is almost completely absent from Suspiria. And you can totally tell where he was coming from. I mean, if we wanted to kind of A and B two movies that... that were intended to have children in them. I mean, you could look at Suspiria, which obviously he had to make those choices based on producers' pressure, or like a movie like Valerie and her Week of Wonders. Oh, which which also highlights younger women, mm -hmm. and and it's very creepy. Now think about you know because they actually went for it. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah they did in that movie. I think. You go that same route with Suspiria, it would have totally worked. <laughs> it would have been amazing. Um, I would have loved. I would love to see that version of this movie. Would I love to see children get brutally murdered? No, <laughs> mm -hmm. but I still think you know it works. And if you want to, the way that he shoots all of the women in this movie and the look of all these women in this movie. You could easily kind of stretch your imagination into thinking that they're much younger than they actually are. Mm -hmm. And it still works. I mean, yeah. he chose um, Jessica Harper because of those attributes. I mean, she he had seen Brian De Palma's uh, Phantom of the Paradise. 
and loved her in it so much and loved that, you know, she had these big doe like eyes in mm-hmm. this very kind of um, childlike face. And that's the whole reason she's even in this movie. <laughs> so uh, it's not a stretch. I hundred percent. This could be just as messed up and creepy as movies like the witches or <laughs> Valerie and her week of wonders or mm. anything like that. hundred percent. Nice. Yeah. That, that That's a great question, Scott. I, I could see it. This is one of the few where it would. Yeah. You, you wouldn't take anything away and you wouldn't really have to change too much with it either. Uh, it'd be creepy to watch still, but yeah, but not nearly as creepy as some people might think for a European film, especially European art horror film. Um, so yeah, that's, that's a great question. Uh, Derek, did you come up with one yet or? Yeah, let's, let's go ahead and um, when it comes to people's complaints, other than, obvious things that we've already kind of addressed you know the lack of logic within the plot um one big thing that a lot of people complain about and i'd love to hear um opinions on this is goblin's soundtrack to this film and whether or not it works if it's obnoxious um if it if it's the wrong fit for this film uh what are your guys opinions on not just this type of of music in general for horror films, which was very pervasive in Euro horror in the seventies and eighties, but for Goblin in particular, for Suspiria in particular, do you guys feel that this movie benefits from this really crazy abstract prog rock score, or does it detract from the film? Uh, Scott, you want to take that first? Well, uh, first of all, I want to know who you're talking to that doesn't like the score. <laughs> um, <laughs> I've heard this. I've heard this on other podcasts and other people, and it just shocks me that yeah. anyone would have that opinion. It does me too. Well, first, to, for one thing, I should uh, qualify also by saying that I am a huge progressive rock fan. Um, but also, I mean, this was one where, correct me if I'm wrong. Uh, I believe the score was even written before the movie. Yes. And it was played on the set um, to get people in the mood. Um, you think you're tired of hearing it in the movie. Imagine the people who had to be on the set for months. <laughs> but Jessica Harper probably still hears it in her sleep. <laughs> but um, but no, seriously, folks. Um, the... Uh, no, it's it's uh, that to me that says everything. I mean, um, it says to me that this. I almost want to say that the music is another character, but I think it's even more than that. Is um, it is another character, but it's more like it is the breath of the film. I think that this is the actual. Uh, film the actual atmosphere of the film come to life. I don't think that I think it goes beyond a soundtrack and becomes something that is just so integrated into the plot that yes, the millionth time I hear la 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 la, yeah, I you know I'm like I don't no- notice it as like something. Oh, there's that obnoxious score again. Like no, by that time 
if you have by that time, if you haven't been like completely immersed in this world, then Suspiria is just not for you. Um, <laughs> and I don't know if I could picture the movie without the score. Now, I love classic orchestral scores and everything like that, but I also like people who do something a bit different. And the way that he took instrumental progressive rock and invited that into his films. This wasn't the first film they had done scores for, you know, of course, not even of Argentos. And, uh, but it's classic. I mean, it's, it's why with every single limited edition of this, it comes with the soundtrack. <laughs> it's, I mean, it's, 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 you cannot separate this score from this movie. It is, as much a part of it as the film stock it was initially printed on. So, yeah, I'm a big soundtrack uh, guy myself. I really enjoyed the music to this. Um, I I enjoy a good or different soundtrack. I think I'm the only person in the world who likes the soundtrack to Ravenous. But um, this one, I think it works. I I, I agree with Scott. It, it helps set the atmosphere. It's almost like the voice of uh, the Academy in some aspects. You know, it, it's it helps add the character to the atmosphere and it stands out for you. And it, it not only just accentuates, you know, what's going on, but it, it's so um, just out there and different from what you might be used to. Like, you know, if you consume some uh, a lot of American horror, uh, you might not be used to a score like this but i i dug it i thought it fit the whole film uh, i don't think it took away from it uh and it's it, you know it's it's not that complicated of music uh as you mentioned it's it's a wide range of sounds in this soundtrack including the ah, la, la. Um, I didn't know Arnold Schwarzenegger sung on this. No, no, he tried out. He tried out. I would love to hear that version of the yeah. soundtrack. This is the song, Spiria. Spiria, but horrible impression. Okay, of Goblin. I apologize to Goblin for sounding like Arnold. Sorry, Claudio. But. Um, you're right. During this time uh, of horror, it, it's an interesting trend of of music because it's something I've noticed lately. Watching the 31 Days of Horror, and that I actually think simpler soundtracks work with films like this. I mean, I just came from uh, watching The Exorcist tonight. Not to go off on, on too much of a tan tan tangent, but that soundtrack actually there's there's a surprising lack of it. <laughs> in that movie uh but when it does come out it, it's not overly complicated music it, it's you know it, it's it's simple notes it's a simple note pattern or it's a simple sound or, or a set of sounds but it's not like this huge like look at us up front but at the same time it lets itself be known and it helps set the atmosphere and the setting and the tension of the scene whether or not you're aware of it Funny you should mention that. That's another, uh, even predating it, uh, it was an American way of doing, of adding pro a progressive rock, uh, not for all the soundtrack, but Mike Oldfield, to uh, uh, or is it Oldfield or Oldenfield? Oh my God. No, it's it's Oldfield. Oldfield. Uh, yeah, yeah. Tubular Bells. Uh, mm -hmm. He's a 
longtime uh, instrumental progressive rock uh, person, and that was his piece of music. It was supposed to be a big, bombastic Lalo Schifrin score. It was not, and mm-hmm. they they went to another way, and they and then for the theme they went to Oldfield for this for this kind of odd thing, and now you know he's still doing music today. Yeah. And he's, He's even done like a, lots of sequels to Tubular Bells, which are actually quite good. <laughs> uh, and um, yeah, so uh, it, 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 they all kind of found a, a home in horror, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think so. And I think it, it works, especially with Suspiria and getting to Goblins back. Uh, it fits so well with everything else going on in this film. It, it just was a, a perfect fit for it. Um, and it just added to this otherworldly i think one of you mentioned kind of the alice in wonderland type down the rabbit hole type of experience that's going on it just it fit very well and i don't i i think you know anything else in here actually might have taken away from what was going on but this was this is just an abstract sound in in many spots that fit the visuals and the story so you're just immersed in this very unique experience because for lack for lack of sounding cliche this movie is an experience uh you know good or bad for you it's still an experience i think uh it it draws you in because it is just so not probably what you're used to seeing especially for your modern horror fans looking for looking at some classics so (laughs) Uh, yeah, and uh, Derek, I'm I, uh, for you, uh, to answer your question, I'm sure, uh, you being a goblin fan, that you think that, uh, is very fitting for the film. Um, I think it, it going back on kind of what I said to start the show, um, it was a clash for me, uh-huh. like the for upon you know, once you get into Euro horror, you it's it's a world of contradiction. Mm-hmm. Um, because the sensibility is so different from what we were raised as film watchers of the Hollywood type that um, I can see how people can be off put by it because they've been trained for so long to have certain music trigger emotional cues in them to feel certain ways mm-hmm. and scores like Goblin scores in general kind of subvert that expectation because there's there's times where normally you would feel you know you'd have something very subdued but instead you have this really funky in your face bass and the drums going crazy and all this and it just totally changes the overall tone of what's going on in this movie while it's not the typical goblin score because in most of the other stuff like profundo rosso which was um deep red is a much more prog rock type thing, kind of like a yes type score, you know, where it's got very funky bass, um, mm-hmm. great guitars. It's almost rock. Um, this is much more experimental. Mm-hmm. And I really couldn't see this film with anything else. It, right. You guys, I can't add much more to what you guys mm-hmm. said. It is so ingrained in the fabric of this film that to to strip it of it well that you could still watch this movie it just wouldn't be the same thing there's there's no way it's just a a wonderful score that is so abrasive and so in your face but at the same time 
really beautiful, which <laughs> is Suspiria in a nutshell. It is. That is. And uh, I think we'll uh, wrap it up here tonight. I think it's a good spot to end. So uh, what I want to do is just, I know what you'll say, uh, but why don't you uh, just give a, uh, if say there's a new modern horror fan out there looking to catch up before uh, the uh, quote unquote remake of the film, which is probably going to be just a completely different film, as I may have mentioned before. Uh, but what would you tell a, uh, a modern horror fan who may be interested in Suspiria? Scotty, why don't you go first? Um, assuming that that modern horror fan is from my own country of America, <laughs> uh, I'm going of uh, United States, America. <laughs> the uh, uh, I want I, I want to just kind of say the same thing that I said to my friend. I don't know what it is about our culture we're so linear and uh we uh value logic we like the security of going from point a to point b to point c and i would say that 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 one of the things that i used to say a lot is that logic is something that is undervalued in society and overvalued in art <laughs> nice <laughs> and that Very well it, in, in 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 our own lives we don't act as rationally and and think things out as we should and in our art and in our art we be, suddenly become so damn specific and pedantic and i think that this is the, a time a place where uh all the rules don't need to apply you sometimes you don't need rules and it depends and i think that if you can uh, set your mind free for 98 minutes and see what it's like when someone can just, you know, express themselves, you will see something far more profound than what you get than if they did go from point A to point B to point C. So mm -hmm. uh, probably my advice would be to just don't overthink it, but just feel it. <laughs> Well put, well put. Derek, how about you? Uh, a final thought or recommendation? What, what would you tell the new modern horror fan who would say, you know what, I'm thinking of seeing Suspiria? This is not a movie for your general horror fan. Mm -hmm. It never was, even though it's it's pumped out there to most people as being one of the hallmark classics of the genre. It's not a movie most people are going to embrace because it is such a bombastic art film that, um, as was very well stated by Scott, most society, especially nowadays, are so they fight against anything that isn't familiar to them. Now, if you're if I'm speaking to the adventurous horror fan and i'm not talking about the horror fan who okay i don't want to be insulting i'm not <laughs> i'm not talking to the horror fan that is so like they they love big time horror like the stuff that goes out to the megaplexes and the stuff that is just considered the classics and that's all they're gonna watch they love their freddies they love their jasons um this isn't for you, but if you you're somebody who's looking a little bit deeper and and can open their mind to films, <laughs> that's that's the big thing about this. I've I've had a lot of people come to me because we I run this 
31 Days of Horror group on Facebook, and I've been doing this for many, many years. And I've had this year in particular, because I think that, you know, we have, uh, we're on the, the brink of seeing the new Suspiria, the new version, the remake that's going to be coming out. I think a lot of people are going back to, to finally see this that haven't seen this before. And I've been hearing a lot of mixed thoughts on this because they've never seen it before. And now, you know, as older people, we're kind of setting our ways of what we like and what we don't like. Um, I'm really shocked by reactions to this. And when people come to me, go, well, I've never seen this. What am I going to like it? I'm just like, as Scott said, don't go into it feeling like you need to make sense of what's going on in this movie. Open your mind and open your heart and just let the movie happen to you. Treat it as an experience. Don't treat it as a movie that needs to tell you a, a logical story in any way, shape, or form. And I think you'll walk away from this with a better, I, I, a more enjoyable time. I think you'll like it. You'll Everyone that I've explained that, like I've pitched it that way to, have walked away from this film loving it. Mm-hmm. I think when you walk into it expecting a classic in the traditional sense, you're setting yourself up for failure. This is not that kind of movie. And most people that go that have the sensibilities they do now, we live in a culture that just wants to pick apart every last little thing that isn't perfect. There's no way this movie would be successful if it was released now. Which is why I'm very interested to see what they do with this remake of Suspiria. Because it sounds like it's it's trying to make much more sense about what's going on than this movie does. So we'll see what uh, our society has decided to uh, make Suspiria into in a week or two. Mm-hmm. Um, but this movie, very much so, go into it with an open mind and don't worry about story. Worry about experiencing something different. Yeah, and you are hit the nail on the head about and it's not insulting it's just a simple fact if you look at the trend of films that have made money and the trend of your modern movie audience in general they like familiarity that's why some of those out there looking for originality go oh my god they're remaking this oh my god they're soft rebooting this oh my they're doing that because those are going to pull in pretty much guaranteed money because it's familiar people go to it because they kind of know what they're going into and then you get films like suspiria this original one where people will watch it and it is completely different i'll admit going into it you know this was my gateway to euro horror made me want to see actually more of it was this one Uh, i had seen a couple others but watching this one i'm like okay because i think the term art house movie and i i'll fully admit that uh, when I was younger, especially, I, I had used it. It kind of has a supposed negative kind of connotation of, oh, it's an art house film or whatnot, you know. So, you know, a lot of people are turned off just because it's used by that term. But see this, see something different. You know, in my old age, uh, I've been looking for different films, something unique, something 
outside of the norm. And Suspiria is definitely one of those films. And a lot of European horror ends up going that way to being something than what I was fed on for so many years as I was younger. So experiencing these films, yeah, you may not always like think, wow, you know, man, that was just a great film. But you can't deny you're going to get an experience out of a film like Suspiria. Uh, you know, and so I, I think you should watch it. It's only, it's not even that long for, for a film like this. You would think maybe it's longer, but it's only, what, 98 minutes. Um, it, so it clips along, too, if you're afraid of, of it, uh, you know, going too long. But for me, this is an experience, just like you gentlemen say. You watch it for something different, and you may find that you actually enjoy it because your brain gets to go places and try to figure things out uh, that, you know, normally you might not get with a regular linear film. Um, it, it's nowhere there, near this level, but I still enjoyed it. I recently saw uh, Bad Times at the El Royale, which is getting kind of mixed reviews right now. Um, and that film wasn't what I expected because it there's a section of it that is nonlinear. It's more, it jumps around and you would be amazed while watching a film, how that suddenly makes your brain think. <laughs> I got to go. I got to ask all, both of you guys. Do you really feel this film is that nonlinear? No, not necessarily. Well, I think that it doesn't explain. We'll say that. I don't it think that it doesn't hold your hand. Yeah. I don't think that it's a nonlinear in the sense that, uh, and now we're going to flash back to this, and now we're going to flash forward to this, because it doesn't do that. Uh, I do think, though, that it doesn't explain, and now we're over here, and this is what's happening over here, and now we're over here, and this is what's happening over here. I think that it is um, far more abstract than that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. the, the, uh, yeah, I shouldn't say nonlinear, because it... it it does play out, I mean, uh, events one after the other. You don't have uh, a mix mixing of the timeline, so to speak. But yeah, it is abstract. Um, so maybe that'd be a better term than nonlinear uh, with it. Uh, you know, I got a little bit of that, and, and I hate bringing it up, but I just come back from it, so it's fresh in my mind, and I, I apologize. But oh, even with The Exorcist, watching that, you watch these older films, it's amazing how much they don't tell you. <laughs> <laughs> and you miss that in some ways. Like in The Exorcist, they jump quite a bit around. It's not as abstract as Suspiria by any means, but you suddenly you find out, oh, this happened already, but you didn't see it on screen. And they don't really tell you fully what happened, but you've pieced together what happened due to a conversation, and you realize some time has passed from this event that you just saw not one second ago to now. And and you've got to pay attention. And Suspiria, yeah, it's abstract, so it, it it lets your mind wander. Going, what exactly is going on? Why are these witches, you know, suddenly? And the visuals too. We've had red, 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 red until we get to the old lady witch, and then the room's blue, and your brain just like, wait, what? Yeah, <laughs> it's kind of jarring. So. Uh, it is abstract. Yeah, more so than just saying nonlinear because the story does play out in a linear uh, fashion. But what is being presented uh, as far as what's going on 
is is not your hand is not held in this film you you whatever you get out of it <laughs> is is kind of on you i think um i could be off on that but i i think it, it is it's a film that's for the audience to kind of put together what exactly is going on and the motivations of of some of the characters in here um and that ending too is a lot of fun so <laughs> i i enjoy this whole film so uh, a lot more i have a lot more appreciation for it over the years and it made me look at other european horror and appreciate it and see its influences so so there you go long-winded uh answer but uh go see suspiria that's what that's what i say the original preferably before you see the whatever uh two hour and 40 minute almost three hour new film see the original first uh because it, it's worth a watch it, it's definitely different so so now i think this is the time where we give my uh crew members here a license to shill so uh, let's go down the line and this is where you can tell fine folks are uh where they can find more of your stuff at so Derek, um I do a podcast with my buddy Seth called All the Gimmicks, where we just hang out and shoot the shit. If you want to listen to two grumpy old 40-year-old guys shoot the shit and complain about everything, check out All the Gimmicks podcast. It's on every thing that you could get podcasts on. So that's all I got, Mark. It, they'll take <laughs> you on a trip to cookie jar heaven. No, uh... <laughs> <laughs> listen to the episode you'll get the reference <laughs> scotty d i know you haven't put out a lot lately but you do still have uh, stuff out there sure put so. me on the spot uh, <laughs> <laughs> why you been such a fucking bum scott bum. <laughs> my eyes don't work no more but no. Uh, the, no the uh no actually i am hoping to get back into the game uh soon but uh, i've had a few delays but that is not a reason why you shouldn't check out the stuff that I have already out there already. You can catch out a lot of my old writings at Movieocrity.com. And uh, you can catch my, catch my old show, Movieocrity, which talks all about exploitation film. Uh, at uh, Best place to see it is at Vimeo, because they have all the episodes. So that's Vimeo.com slash channels slash Movieocrity. As I always like to say, translated, they have all the episodes, aka they got the boobs. So they got the go. boobs, they got everything that YouTube didn't the boobs, like the throw, blood. throw, yeah. throw a shit fit over. Yeah. The boobs, the, <laughs> boobs, the blood, the body count are all on Vimeo, uh, unlike what YouTube likes to neuter things. So mm. <laughs> excellent. Damn yes, YouTube Unix. Damn YouTube. <laughs> Unique tube. Unique tube. <laughs> no, that's a completely different Ouch. channel. Which, uh, if you go search for it, actually, not yeah, blame that's, us. yeah, that's there's probably one out there. I probably there's, shouldn't say I that. Do not, do not type that. Do not type that URL in. <laughs> Uniquetube.com. Do not type it. that in. Safe search. Safe search. Where the hell is safe search? Uh, so, I want to thank you, fine gentlemen, for talking about Suspiria tonight. I've learned a lot uh, about this film. Uh, I hope my listeners out there have. And uh, yeah, thank you so much. And please uh, check out our other stuff as well, the YouTubes and all that out there on social media. You can find it on our, our website. And I appreciate you listening. And now, uh, gentlemen, let's just say good night, everyone. Good night, everyone. 
Hey, all my friends out there looking for more spoiler room goodness, then why don't you check out our brand new Patreon page, patreon.com slash specialmarkproductions, where you can get access to exclusive spoiler room episodes and a whole lot more. You can also find us on Facebook groups at SMPRD and on to Twitter at SpecialMarkPro. Let your voice be heard and let us know what you would like to see in the spoiler room, as well as just how we're doing in general. We appreciate your support and remember in the spoiler room that conversation is fresh, but we do spoil the movies.